But Lord, I thank you for this time, God. I thank you for the fall, the changing of the seasons. Um, Lord, I pray that as we look to you this season, God, that if, if life is picking up, if it's busier, Lord, I pray that you'd be present in that for each of us. Um, God, that, that you would be the one we rely on, that we don't forget about you and the craziness of life. Um, we don't forget about you and the challenges, but we seek you. And Lord, I pray that as we open your word today, you would speak to each of us um, out of this story in the book of Mark. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, so we started the year in the book of Mark, and we're, we're back in it to close out the year. Um, it's the, the gospel of Mark. It's the first um, gospel written in, like if you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Mark is actually the first one uh, that was written. It was actually, Mark was a disciple of Peter, who you know is a disciple of Jesus. And so this is almost like Peter's perspective on the way that, uh, the, basically the, the, the way that the story of Jesus went down. And so it's, it's pretty cool. Um, it's like, uh, it's very fast-paced. We talked about this in the fall, that the book of Mark focuses on action. Um, if you read the Gospel of Matthew or Luke, there's a lot of Jesus' uh, words in there, a lot of his sermons, a lot of, uh, a lot of teaching, and Mark really focuses on the, the human element the story, how Jesus impacted people, a lot of people who are in desperate situations, and we come to another story like that today. The reason why we would do a series in the Gospel of Mark, obviously it's a, it's a book of the Bible, so it's important to know like what it says, um, but, but, but so often, you know, we sort of reduce Jesus down to, well, he was Christmas and Easter, right? Like, he was born, that's when we celebrate Christmas, and uh, at Easter, he, he uh, or Good Friday, he died. Easter, he rose again. And those are sort of the two monumental, like, events that we think of. Okay, Jesus was, it was God coming into the world, and then he died for my sins, and then he rose and he went back uh, to, to, to heaven, left the Holy Spirit here. And that's sort of what we think about. But, but why we go through the, a gospel is to really understand why did Jesus live? What were the other three years all about? Uh, why, what, what was Jesus all about during those three years? And what we see is Jesus taught and modeled um, a different life for us to follow. Um, he, he modeled the kingdom of God. His, uh, his time on earth was about bringing the kingdom to earth. Uh, N.T. Wright put it this way. He said, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all seem to think that it's hugely important that they tell us a great deal about what Jesus did between the time of his birth and the time of his death. In particular, they tell us about what we might call his kingdom inaugurating work. The deeds and words that declared God's kingdom was coming in there, in some sense or other, on earth as it is in heaven. So Jesus models us a life that makes it on earth as it is in heaven. That's what, that's what it was about. It was about heaven coming to earth and showing us a different way to live. And so, if, just to show how important this is, look at this statement from First uh, John 2. He says, By this we may know we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him, meaning Christ, ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So if you want to know, am I really following Christ? It's saying, well, are you acting like him? Are, are, is your, um, are you walking like Jesus did? Are you doing the same things that he modeled for us during his time on earth? And for me, it made me pause. I'm like, ooh, am I? 
Am I doing that? Is my heart aligned? Am I, am I loving others like Jesus loved others? Am I, um, am I loving my neighbor as myself? Am I caring for people? Um, you know, it made me, made me pause, and I think it should make all of us pause. Am I living a life that looks like Jesus? And so the goal of this series isn't for us to sit back and admire Jesus as much as it is to learn to live like Jesus. That if we could learn to live like Jesus, that would make this a success. And so we're going to tell a story today that I personally resonated with. This is a story that I think hits deep for all of us. It's very honest. It's very real. And I think, you know, I could see myself in this story because it deals with someone who's feeling flustered. I'm going to use that word a lot today. Hopefully you don't hate it. But uh, the word is flustered. This is a person who's very flustered. Um, Webster defines being flustered as a state of agitated confusion. Anybody feel that ever? Yes, a state of agitated... I mean, just go on Twitter, all right? The world is in a state of agitated confusion right now. Um, so I think flustered is a very fitting word for, for where this guy was at. But it's easy for us to be, to be flustered in life, to come into situations where we sense there's urgency, like I need to do something, but then there's a lot of uncertainty. Like, I know I need to do something, but I have no idea what to do at the same time. Uh, kind of a Michael Scott thing for, for Office fans. Um, but it's easy to, be, is e- easy to be flustered, whether it's at your work or with your kids or at home or with finances. There's all sorts of things that just make life hard. Life is a balancing act, right? It's, holding, it's spinning a bunch of plates at once, and it can be really difficult and confusing. And that's just the everyday stuff. Regular life can make us flustered. But what about when crisis hits? That's even even worse if you if you encounter cancer or serious disease, if you encounter betrayal, mental illness, serious trauma, like all these things make life even harder. There are moments as a pastor that where I or where where some pastors would, would just throw their hands up in the air. And I, one thing I'm really grateful for in my life is being able to spend time as an associate pastor. So not the lead guy, but like the second guy. I really appreciated that time because it gave me a chance to, to just watch what somebody else was doing for a while, you know? I, I was in the passenger seat, um, and I want to talk about my friend Bill, who I worked for for three years when I first moved to Whatcom County. I was an associate pastor. I worked with this guy, Bill, and I got to spend time with him for three years, and I got to watch him handle some really difficult situations where it's like, what, there's no good solution here. There's no good answer here. Uh, a month into starting at that church, um, there's a family, great family, loving family, lost their firstborn child. And I was really, I'll say this, it was super sad. The whole church was engaged, and Bill did an amazing job of leading us through that season as a church. He didn't leave their side. He was present with them through the whole thing. And I remember just being at the funeral, and here you are. There's just 200, 300 people there. Everyone's grieving. Everybody's trying to make sense of, like, God, why? And I remember during in the middle of this funeral, Bill just stops and he says, like, you guys, this sucks. I remember that felt so real, right? He's like, I don't, I don't know what to say right now. I just know this really sucks. 
And it, it, there was something about that that just landed with everybody in the room. And as a, as a new guy, it was a gift to be able to watch him lead during that, during that season. But we all encounter moments in life that can leave us feeling flustered, feeling at a loss, not knowing what to do. There are moments where uncertainty and urgency meet for all of us, where we just feel overwhelmed. And so Jesus stepped into one of these moments in Luke 9. We're going to look at Luke 9 this morning. This is a moment right after an event in, in, in Scripture called the Transfiguration. So the Transfiguration is when Jesus takes um, his three closest disciples, takes them up to a mountain, and basically unveils his godness. Like, he's talking with Moses and Elijah. They don't know what to do. They're terrified. But this is, like, truly a mountaintop moment. They're on the mountain. And then they come down from the mountain— and they're in a mess. They, they're immediately greeted with mess. It's a crazy scene, and so much of our life can feel like that as Christians. Like, we have these mountaintop great experiences with God, and then we take a few steps down, and all of a sudden, we're back in the mess of life. And, and honestly, that's how God intended it for it to be, too. Like, we are going to have high highs with God, but we're also, we also live in a mess at the same time. So, um, this is what happens. This is a, a Mark 9, 14, as they're coming down the mountain. It says, And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them, and the scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed, and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, What are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. We'll pause there. So here we have a moment where Jesus finds a group of flustered people and he's frustrated. Do you notice that? Jesus is frustrated in this moment. How long am I to bear with you? That is, that's, that's some words of frustration. But let's talk about the three groups of people who are in this scene. The first group you have is the anxious crowd. There's a, there's a, a situation going on. The, the, the way that it's described is that um, this man's son, who's probably in his 20s or 30s, is having a grand mal seizure. And he has these, and they're related to, um, like, demonic activity. So this is pretty serious, and, and, and they're, they're in an episode, and they're bringing this um, young man to Jesus so, so that, or they brought him to the disciples, hoping that they could heal him, and they could not, and it caused this great uproar. So you have this anxious crowd that's wondering what's going to happen. Is this... Uh, is this boy going to be healed? And then the second group you have are uh, cynical scribes. You have this cynical, cynical scribe. So in the middle of the disciples trying to heal this boy, you have a group of people who are basically arguing with them. They've taken the opportunity to argue with them. And so the scribes were the Jewish theologians of the day. They were the, the people who liked to live in the library and, and read a lot. Um, they, they taught the law. They knew the ins and outs of the Jewish code. They were the wonks of, uh, of Scripture. Um, and really, they were looking at this 
live situation, not with compassion, but to show them that they were right, right? To prove a point. And I'll say this, like, I kind of identify with, with the scribes in the way that I love reading. Like, I love theology. I'm, I'm unashamed. I'm a Bible nerd, guys. I'm a nerd. It's okay. But what I'll say is this. If you pursue theology without love, it's dangerous. It's dangerous. If you're all about theology and wanting to know everything about God, but you're not filled with the spirit or the compassion of God, it's dangerous. And it can do a whole lot of damage. So did the scribes really care about the boy, or were they just trying to make Jesus' disciples look dumb? Right? They were trying to be hurtful in this moment and not helpful. And if you have theology without love, you have a dangerous self-righteousness that is produced. So finally, you have the flustered disciples. So in the middle of the chaos, you have Jesus' disciples in over their heads. They're not sure what to do. They know that what they're trying isn't working, so they're flustered. It's like the lead pastor stepped away, and all of a sudden they're in charge, and what they're doing is not working. Uh, they're like, Jesus, when are you getting back, man? Come on, you've been up in that mountain for a while. They're just waiting. They're trying to hold, hold things off. They're arguing with the scribes. It's not a good scene. It's not a good look. And I think those words, maybe we can all resonate with this, where, where it says, and they were not able... They were not able to heal. Speaks to our feeling of inadequacy at times, right? Like God puts us in moments where we need to rely on his strength, and we can feel really inadequate in those moments. We can feel really over our skis. You know, when we come into a situation that's way over our heads, whether it's physical health, or if somebody tells you their story, and it's like too much to absorb, you ever have those moments? It's like, wow. How can, I, how can I help in this, in this moment? And it's, it's never fun to feel that inadequacy. It's never fun to feel that inadequacy. And, and sometimes we have moments where we wish we could get a mulligan, you know, as Christians. You know what a mulligan is? Some golfers in here. Are you, anybody who's a golfer in here? Raise your hand if you golf. All right, this, this metaphor is not going to work. I'm going to skip it. <laughs> I'm done. Stephen golfs. Okay. So a mulligan is when you get up to the tee and you try to hit the ball about 250 yards straight, and instead of that, it goes about 10 yards sideways. That, isn't that like our Christian life? Like, we think we're going to get up there. We're going we're gonna to just knock it out of the park. We're going to hit it right down the fairway. It's going to be beautiful, but then it goes 10 yards sideways. Like, man, we, it's that feeling of inadequacy. And I wish I could say... We just read it. I wish I could say that Jesus, when he saw how, dis how flustered his disciples were, just came over and put his arm around them and said, it's okay, guys. We, let's try again, okay? But he didn't do that, did he? No, he was frustrated. He, it, he was frustrated. He says, oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? bring him to me. Bring, bring the child or bring the young man to me. And those words are hard to hear probably for his disciples. But what I want you to notice is that he doesn't say, oh faithless disciples. He says, oh faithless generation. He says, oh faithless generation. Jesus is not just commenting on his disciples who are trying. He's commenting on the whole scene. He says, this is a faithless generation. 
that this chaos is a result of a lack of confidence in God's power. He's speaking to the anxious and the cynical and the frustrated all at once, right? Faithless generation. And it, you got to realize, at this point, Jesus is nearing the end of his time on earth. He's nearing the end. He spent three years with the disciples. He spent three years doing this stuff over and over and over again. Healing the sick, casting out demons, all of it. And, and he still is running up to doubt. And so maybe some of that frustration is that boiling over. And you got to wonder, like, you know, Oh, faithless generation. Is that just exclusive to that generation? Like, are, are we pretty faithful in our generation? <laughs> no, I mean, we got the same doubts, right? We've got the same kind of frantic nature. When things go wrong, we're so quick to doubt, right? Or, or leave. If something, you know, if, if we, if we uh, you know, I know a, a lot of, like, pastors and ministry leaders who, like, have gotten frustrated in the last few years and left, Right? Um, and so, you know, that's just the reality is like, you know, we live and in, in nothing's changed, right? Nothing's changed. We still struggle with faith. We still struggle to trust that God has our back. We still struggle to see God at work. And I think what that should do is it should cause us to pray for our own generation, right? So let's pray for our own generation. Let's pray for faith in our own generation. Let's pray for the future leaders of the church, Right? We need to do that. We need to, in, to in, leave a legacy of faith for the next generation. Right. So we should look at this, this passage not as, um, not as condemnation, but as a challenge. Like, let's have some faith. Let, let's walk in faith. Jesus is calling us to have a resilient faith that relies on his power and not our own. It's not so focused on our inadequacy. That expects him to knock the ball 250 yards down the fairway, not us. When we do it, it doesn't go as far. So, But let's look and see this second part of the story. Let's see, and, and we're going to read from verse 20 and, and what happens um, after, that, after that comment. It says, And they, they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. So at the end of the day, Jesus intervenes. Jesus heals the boy. Uh, Jesus, um, Jesus uh, sends out this demonic uh, spirit that was causing this boy to have these seizures. 
And I'll tell you what, I believe that all that is true. I believe that there is, there are demons. I believe that there's demonic activity today. I believe that um, demonic activity can result in physical manifestations, like what happened with this young boy here, young boy here. And I believe that Jesus can heal. And when we pray for people in those situations, we pray in the name of Jesus that Jesus might heal them and that Jesus has authority over the spiritual and physical world. But that's not the focal point of this passage. That's a big part of it, but that's not the focal point. The focal point of this passage is actually our uncertainty. It's not questioning Jesus' authority. It's our uncertainty. We question Jesus' authority. The focal point is on us and, and, and how Jesus responds to our lack of faith. And guys, it's easy to understand why this father lacked faith. Jesus asked him, how long has this been going on? And he said, since childhood. That's a long time, right? Those two words represent a long time to wait. This trial has been this father's whole life for a long time. Uh, he's been in it with his son. Like, he's been a good dad, right? Like, if he hasn't kicked his son out, he's doing whatever he can to heal his son. And I bet you would, too, if you were in his position. You would want to do whatever you could to help your son so that he doesn't die or be destroyed. I think as a parent, being a, a dad of three, there's a sense of desperation that you have for each of your kids. Like, you want your kids to grow up follow Jesus. You want them to make good choices and be safe. You want them to succeed in life. And so you, you can imagine how this dad might be feeling that my son is going to have none of that because of this condition. I, I know a, another Christian leader personally whose son has been in a coma for the last year and a half. Um, he, he's had a, a traumatic brain injury. Um, this man's a writer, so he writes to kind of, it's almost like cathartic, like he writes his thoughts and like what God is doing. And, and, and you do sense a little, that desperation, like God heal my son in the middle of this. And you, you can read like every movement, every eye movement, every hand movement is, is so huge to this family. We can be, uh, be, be praying for them. Um, but you can understand why it's so hard to have faith in those situations. The waiting is so hard, right? The waiting is so hard. And maybe as you read these passages, those words from childhood ring deeply. Like there are things from childhood that make it hard to trust anyone, let alone God, right? Hard to have faith, let alone God. And maybe since um, you've always carried the, that pain you've had. You've lost your expectation that God can do anything about it. Right? And so this man says, it's something that we can probably relate to if you can do anything. Right? Because he's tried things. If you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And guys, I've, I mean, I've taken that approach. I've taken the if approach with God before. You know? God, if you're into this, can you, can you heal me, <laughs> right? Can you help me? Can you help me with my finances? If you want to, you know, I don't want to put it on you. But Jesus is saying that's not how he wants us to approach him, right? Not, we're not questioning God's ability. I will say there's another passage where a leper comes up to Jesus and he says, if you will, if you will, 
heal me. He doesn't say, if you can. He says, if you will. If you will heal me, and Jesus replies, I will be clean. So when we say can, we're talking about ability. And so Jesus is saying, of course I have the ability. I don't know why he doesn't always heal. I don't have an answer. I don't know why, you know, I, I can't, um, I, I can't make a, a great argument for, for why God doesn't act in some situations and acts in other situations. That's all mystery. I don't think you could have, the greatest theologian couldn't come up here and explain that in a way that would satisfy you, right? Only God knows. It's like that, uh, there's that old country hymn, Farther Along, that says, Farther Along we'll know all about it, Farther Along we'll understand why. Like, there's sort of that mentality when it comes to, I don't know why God does the things that he does, but he's God and I'm not. Someday I'll know all about it. And so Jesus responds to this man's doubt of his ability. If you can, he quotes him, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. So Jesus is saying, I can do anything I want to do. I can do it all. All things are possible for those who believe. He doesn't say all things are guaranteed. He says all things are possible, right? I think that's important. It's not a guarantee, but he's saying all things are possible. And then there's this statement that we all resonate with, that we all might know, where this man cries out. He says, I believe, help my unbelief. I don't know if there's a more honest human statement found in Scripture than that statement. Like, I believe... Help my unbelief. Like, I believe, but man, there are still pieces that I don't get. Or maybe I'm not, I, I believe, but I don't fully believe. And so this story is, is a call to deeper faith. Like, I believe, help my unbelief. In the middle of this cynical crowd and the flustered crowd and the anxious crowd, Jesus calls them all to deeper faith. Here's one thing. Growing in your faith, it's not a guarantee over time, right? It's a choice. Having faith is a choice. You can actually live your whole Christian life doubting God, right? But faith is a choice. It's something we choose, something we walk in. And, and you might be in a season of life today that doesn't make a lot of sense, and God would call you to deeper faith in this season of life. Here's what we can learn from this encounter with Jesus. How do we have deeper faith? How do we get there? When you need deeper faith, admit your doubts. You have permission to admit your doubts to God and those around you who love God. You have permission. God's given you the floor. Admit your doubts. This man admitted his doubt. Did God withhold healing until he had it all figured out? No. No, he acted anyways. Growing in faith starts by admitting our doubt. God doesn't condemn us when we say, hey, I don't know about this. <laughs> Help me out with this. No, confess your doubt. Bring your doubt to him. God is a king full of grace, not condemnation. It's not once you get it all figured out, he'll act. He acts on this man's behalf, even though he's still struggling. He says, I believe, help my unbelief, and Jesus still heals. He doesn't correct him for saying that, by the way. And so I don't know where you're at, but I do know there are certain things that can keep us from fully believing and fully trusting 
in Christ. It could be something in our mind, right? It could be a podcast we listen to, right? Something that makes us question maybe the existence of, of God or, or, or uh, you know, maybe we see, you know, science as, as in conflict with God or, or we listen to modern philosophy. Maybe a guy like Richard Dawkins or something who, who would discredit the existence of God. It could be in our mind. It could be a hurt or wound you carry. You might think, like, if God was real, this wouldn't happen, Right? Or it could be a fear. It could be, God, I want to trust you, but I'm just too afraid to let go of control. Like, I want deeper faith, but having deeper faith means that I have to step out to the edge sometimes. That I can't stay kind of cozy, that I have to actually take steps closer and closer to the edge. That's where my faith grows, but I don't want to go there. I'm afraid. I, I, I want to keep it comfortable. I want, I want to have a living room and like a sofa, like I want my faith to be like a sofa, you know, just something cozy that I can rest in. When God say, no, faith is out here, guys. It's on the edge. It's on the edge of what's comfortable. That's where faith grows. It's just like working out. Like your muscles don't, don't grow unless you put some resistance up against them, right? Same way in our faith. God's going to take us to the edge to make our faith stronger. And so all of that to say is, you are safe with God to share your doubt, what you struggle with. You can name it. You can write it down. You can say, God, I believe, but help me with blank. You know what that is. We get to own our doubts. We get to pray through them. We get to work through them. What we, what we aren't allowed to do with our doubts is just simmer in them. Just like let them take over right? That's, that's called withering. We had a whole series about that this summer. If you want to go through it, <laughs> we don't want to wither because of our doubts. We want to we push into our doubts so that Jesus can meet us there in those places of doubt. So the second piece here to deeper faith is that we need to trust God's power. That's what it's talking about here. It's not trusting that God is, is good or that he, he intends good things for us, is that he actually has power. God actually can affect your world right now. He can actually bring change, save people you think are lost causes, save, save our world, right, that's flustered, agitated, anxious. This line here sounds like it's out of a movie, right? All things are possible for those who believe. It sounds like Mr. Rogers said that. You know? That's Jesus. That's Jesus saying that. All things are possible for those who believe. All things. That's not a nice saying, right, that Mr. Rogers would say to make us feel good. Like, that's Jesus. That's Jesus. Jesus says that he has the power to do anything. There's no limitation in his ability. He's God, and he's at work, and he cares for you. Right? And when we're aligned with his will, we can ask anything, and he'll do it he'll do it. So what we should be, what we should not be, is timid as his disciples. We can be tentative. We can test like, test the spirits is this true? You know, that sort of thing. We can make, make sure that like preachers, like what I'm saying is true. We can go back and study the word. Like that's good. But what we shouldn't be is timid towards God. God doesn't want us to be timid. We can go boldly before God. You know who you are? 
Before God, you're a son or a daughter, right? We've got to think about who we are. We're not slaves. We're not just servants. No, Jesus said, no longer I call you servants. I call you friends. Friends can just pull up on the couch and talk, right? We've got to remember who we are. We've got to remember that God wants to respond. If someone is sick, we can pray for their healing with expectation, if someone is struggling with a crisis, if something has a stranglehold on someone's life, we can pray for freedom for that person. We can be bold with our prayers. And so think about who God is calling you to pray for, right? Who in your life needs prayer? Next time you see that person, ask them if you can pray over their situation, over their life. You know, sometimes if, if uh, we encounter a problem or an impossible situation, we'll want to talk it to death. Anybody feel that way? Like we'll just want to talk it down. We, I do that. I do that. I want to talk it to death. And I've just reached a point where I'm like, actually, that's not very helpful. Right? What if we, what if we spent half the time we spent talking about this problem, praying about the problem, Right? Pray for God to step into our problem. Because when I'm talking about it, I'm just relying on my own mind, you know. I'm not relying on the power of God. So here's the, the last point, and the, the point I think that might be hardest, at least it is for me. The hardest point for me is to don't let up. Don't let up. Keep expecting. Keep going. There's a sense of prolonged pain in this passage. Like, there is prolonged pain. This man had to wait a long time before Jesus showed up and saved his son, right? Faith involves waiting and not losing hope. Faith involves waiting and not, living, not losing hope, not giving up in tough moments. This frazzled dad thought, man, life's never going to change. You know, you get to a point some people would call it like learned helplessness, right? Where you get to a point where, man, life's never going to change. It's never going to get better. My son's always going to be this way until he dies or I die. He'll always be tormented. Life will never be normal. And then Jesus showed up one day and his son was healed. Like that's the power of God that we're talking about. But that also speaks to persistence. Like we've got to persist in our prayer. We, we can't be casual in our prayer. Or, you know, I tried to pray once and nothing happened, so I stopped, you know? Yeah. And sometimes, I mean, I'll be honest, I do that sometimes. Like, oh yeah, I prayed for him, like while I was eating breakfast, you know, real quick, like between bites, you know? Um, no, we've got we've to continue in prayer. We've got we've to, like, it, it actually means something to, like, physically get on your knees, put your hands up towards God. Like, even getting in a posture of prayer, like, God, you have all my focus, uh, you have all my time, I'm seeking you as the only solution. Sometimes I'm trying to fix the problem while I'm praying for the problem, <laughs> right? You ever do that? Like, well, yeah, God, help me out here, you know, I'm trying to fix it, you know, like I'm on the phone with someone and I'm praying before the phone call, you know, before the person picks up, right? But what if you just take a minute, you, you get on your knees, like, you get to a quiet place and you just pray and make that a, a habit, you know, of, of just a, a posture of surrender, like, God, I don't know what I'm doing, but you do. Help me in this situation. There's a sense of pleading here, right? Like, God, bring, bring relief. I'm trusting only in you. I think there's that if, that if thing can sneak into 
letting up. Like, I've got to cover my bases just in case God disappoints me, <laughs> right? Like, I've got to, you know, like, if it works out, and, and that can sneak into our prayer life, too. Like, God, help me out, but I'm going to figure it out while you're, uh, you know, while, while, you, while you're helping me. Faith involves waiting and not giving up hope. And so what I want to do today and just in kind of response, you know where you're at, you know where your heart's at. The call today is to deeper faith, to deeper trust. But I want you to think about where is your unbelief as we close? Maybe it surrounds a situation in your life. Um, maybe it, it surrounds some, um, like something that God's word says that's difficult surrounds the person of Jesus. Maybe it surrounds God's power, like is God actually able to intervene? What I want to do today is invite you to pray. We've been talking about prayer. It would, it would not, like, it, it wouldn't, we wouldn't, I wouldn't get anywhere if I didn't put that in practice, right? Like if we were just like, okay, go home and pray, guys. Like I want to take some time right now, even in this room, to just, to pray. And you have you can do two things you can pray alone just as as karma uh and marcel lead us in worship you can pray alone if if you just want to have time just you and god that's great just you know just confess god your unbelief but if you have something you're dealing with right now i want you to know we want to pray for you like if you don't even feel like you have strength to pray you need to know like we want to pray for you and so what i would encourage you to do is to just raise your hand while the worship's going and we'll actually come and, and pray for you and if you're around someone with your hand raised you can come and pray for them as well we just want to take time to pray for each other this is so important that we actually pray for each other as a family um, and, and it's all around that idea that God I believe but help my unbelief in the middle of my anxiety and frustration in the middle of, of feeling lost and not knowing what to do, help my unbelief. So let me pray for us. And then again, I just invite you to use this time of prayer. Raise your hand. Um, Lord, I, I uh, just come before you, God, and we invite you, Holy Spirit, to be present in the room. We invite you to speak to us directly. Lord, I pray that you would help our unbelief. You would help us to name it. God, you would help us to, to trust you in it, trust your power over it. And Lord, bring victory. God, if there's something we feel chained to, I pray that we'd feel freedom from that today. God, if there is a situation in our life that feels out of control, Lord, would I pray for peace today. I pray for the embrace of community today, friendship, Lord, with, with you and with others, God. So, Lord, we invite you, God, to meet us, and uh, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so if you just stand with me, church, and as the, as the music's going, we're just going to take a minute and be quiet, and if you feel led, like, I need prayer, raise your hand, and we'll come and, and pray with you this morning. Thank you.